podcast has bad words. <laughs> Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I am Ryan Nicodemus, and together we are the Minimalists. We got a special guest today. I am excited for this podcast, man. We do. Welcome to episode 149. Today we're going to talk about sex and couples and traditional relationships and non-traditional relationships and a whole lot more. And because we're talking about sex, Ryan and I have never had sex, so we've, we've, we've brought an expert on. <laughs> well, not with each other. What? Wait. I mean, I've had sex before, dude. You didn't know? Oh man, <laughs> I totally lost my virginity. <laughs> we're here with uh, <laughs> we're here with Doctor Christopher Ryan. He's he's the author of Sex at Dawn, and also you got a book coming out, uh, hopefully uh, next year or the year after. I, you've been you've been pinning it for many years. Uh, uh, Civilized to Death is, is is the next book, which I'm sure we could talk about that as well. But uh, welcome to the show. Thanks Thank for having you. us. Yeah, Thank thanks you. so much for being here, dude. Uh, well, uh, so before we dive in, so so the format of of this uh, of this show is we 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 don't bring guests on to interview anyone. Instead, we help people answer their questions. So we've we've got some some questions. I figure we would we would dive into. Before we do that, though, Chris, can you tell me? I mean, I read Sex at Dawn a while ago. And, and it seemed relatively uncontroversial to me, but there seems to be a whole lot of controversy behind some of the ideas that you've put forth in that book. Why exactly do people feel so... Um, is, it, is it that people feel that their belief structures are being challenged or, or, or why? Yeah, I, I can't really comment on motivation, right? <clears throat> but I think there, there are different sources of disagreement, I think. And it's interesting because very little of the disagreement is factual. It's sort of an overall, oh, that book's bullshit. There's a lot of cherry picking. It's, you know, it's been debunked. I read that all the time. It's been debunked. <laughs> like, who the hell debunked it? And, right. and how did it get bunked in the first place? You know? uh, but I, I think largely people disagree with the general notion that women are sexual beings. I think mm. that's a big part of it. Nobody seems to have a problem with the argument that men are highly sexual beings that are attracted to variety and novelty and sexual partners. I think that's so obvious that right. it's kind of hard to even conceive of a disagreement with that. But where we applied that to women as well and actually said women may be even more uh, sexual beings than, than men in some ways, you know, with the multiple orgasms and the fact that, you know, a, a woman could conceivably have sex with five men in one session, whereas a guy... You know, guy has sex, he has an orgasm, and it's like, what's on TV? You know, it's <laughs> kind of finished. <clears throat> so I think that's what people find offensive. Mm. It, it, Not everyone, by the way. A lot of people, thank God, find it liberating and, and stimulating. I've received dozens of emails from women saying that they had to stop and masturbate every 10 pages <laughs> when they were reading. And I've never gotten a single email from a dude <laughs> saying that. Could you just assume that's happening? <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I mean, I think what it's interesting because I think that for women, 
the lifting of the shame and the feeling of liberation, like, oh, I'm not sick. There's nothing wrong with me. Right. All my life I've been told that I'm not supposed to feel sexual desire the way men do and it's natural for men but it's shameful for me so to read something that says no no it's natural for you we're homo sapiens men and women mm-hmm. we're actually very similar right uh women find that uh often very liberating and and erotic in an interesting so way. so in a way like you're you're giving them permission to uh, to be a sexual person, to be a sexual Give, yeah, being. Yeah, giving them permission to be a human being, yeah, a homo that's, sapiens. That's that's the argument that, of the book, really. Huge. And not not just women, but just all human beings in general. There's sort of this puritanical veil that has been placed over our culture where even talking about the, the topic of sex for some reason, like I feel vulnerable just, just – in, in, in our culture, it, it's a thing that's almost taboo, just even you bringing up that word, and you, it's not something they're supposed to talk about in public. Yeah. And it's not to say that we shouldn't have private lives. Um, there are certainly things that I won't talk about in public, but sex, I, I certainly shouldn't be ashamed or embarrassed to, to talk about right. sex in, right. in a public form, especially yeah. in a way that serves the greater good. Yeah, especially with something that isn't just like a part of life, but it's, I mean, it's necessary for life. And it's it's funny how this there's this act that we have to have to keep the human race going, but yet we're so uh, well. A lot of us are very embarrassed, or it is taboo to kind of talk about in public. Well, well, don't you also think that that that's one of the reasons, though, is we've treated it as as only an act that is to keep the human race going and and i think what you're exposing yeah. is the other side of this well we can also have sex for pleasure like you it, know uh, it doesn't just have to be functional yeah, right right oh man mariah and i's bedroom game is about to change <laughs> right <laughs> well with that said let's go ahead and dive into some of well, these questions wait, wait, before we dive in can i can i talk about something that was in the news i just want to get your all's take on this okay. and how insane it is but i saw this story about this woman who was um, getting, this isn't about sex, but it's kind of, I guess, along the lines, but this woman who was getting married and she basically put out an ask to all of her guests saying, hey, I want to have, I want to be a Kardashian for a day and I want everyone to gift me $1,500 for, for the wedding of my dreams. Well, this like, and have you, did you hear about this? No. So it ended up not happening. Like basically some people did support her that, you know, could afford the 1500 bucks, but essentially she didn't have enough guests RSVP and send her money. So it was like this, uh, just this social media tyrant on how all of her friends and family, their pieces of garbage and how no one really cares about her and how, you know, it's not a lot to ask for 1500 bucks. I, I would have thought that you guys would have heard about this and it was, it's been all over the news. Really? It's crazy. No, no, but, well, but I mean, I don't understand why I, I don't understand. So my media blocks anything that has the word Kardashian. <laughs> so nothing yeah. Gets through to how do I download that? Mine, mine usually <laughs> does too. Well, I mean, I mean, I guess that's what really, that's why I wanted to talk about it is because, you know, we have this society where uh, it involves a lot of reality TV. And, you know, you could look at this with sex, too, like how it, there are these lives that are presented to us that it makes us feel like, oh, if we're not doing life this way, then we're not doing it right. Mm-hmm. And the same thing can be said with sex, too. Right. Um, I, I think, like, you know, porn is one of those things where, like, I don't have anything against porn, but there is, you know, some porn where it's like that is it is. Well, most porn is staged. It is not, you know, not normally how a couple is going to make love. Sometimes, yes, but that's not like the, that's not the way that one should be doing it. And, and I guess I'm just speaking to the, um, 
just the dangers of maybe reality TV or uh, even like comparing ourselves to others. Um, I just wanted to to get your guys' take. I mean, that's absolutely insane, right? I mean, it almost sounds fake, right? Well, it, it sounds to me like you're trying to distinguish fantasy from from reality. You know, I've got mm. a five year old daughter, and I we pretend there's a Santa Claus. We also tell her there isn't this actual being, like this supernatural being called Santa Claus. We, the same way that when she watches, you know, Daniel Tiger on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, like she doesn't think that puppet is a real uh, sentient creature. Mm-hmm. She, she is able to understand that it's make-believe. And in a way, maybe one of the problems is we don't understand that the Kardashians are make-believe or a lot of pornography um, is make-believe as well. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, there's nothing inherently wrong with watching porn. Um, we can obviously get addicted to it just like we can get addicted to you know, anything else. Mm-hmm. And, and that's when it becomes a problem, not, not the, uh, the, de- the device or the, the, the whatever we're consuming itself. Yeah. So, so the fantasy marriage, whether it's, you know, Kardashian or just a huge expanse of money and the white gowns and the all that stuff is part of the fantasy world that and then we could say the the expectations of the relationship uh, often are part of a fantasy world as well that we're not distinguishing from reality. Yeah. Uh, which, which, you know, to get back to, to the book, uh, that that's one of the things we were talking about, this fantasy that you, because you love someone, you're going to be sexually attracted to them forever right. and not to anyone else. Right. That's Santa Claus. That's absurd. Yeah. 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 That's uh, not reality. But people are comparing their actual experience to that fantasy and they're feeling like there's something wrong with them or right. wrong with their partner or wrong with their marriage because it doesn't live up to that ridiculous fantasy right well the word you use there is expectation right and uh if if it's my expectation that my partner rebecca is is never going to be attracted to another man as long as i'm with her then i've just set myself up for failure or i'm 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 being so ignorant like it's like i've got these blinders on and man as soon as someone removes one of those blinders i'm going to be devastated mainly because there's a poor expectation there we were in portland this weekend i was at uh, the portland art museum and there was like this neon art sign on the wall that said expect a miracle and and i think i think that's okay to i mean not in the not in the religious sense but but like Man, maybe all of this is a miracle, but maybe we're expecting the wrong miracle. Mm. And one of those miracles is I'm going to meet the, you know, Prince Charming or the princess that I'm going to live with happily ever after. Mm. That's the wrong expectation. Maybe the expectation is I'm going to be good to someone in hopes that they're also going to that I'm going to get something out of that relationship. Yeah. I I guess uh, what I'm taking from this is we have to really be careful with a the a fantasies that we indulge in. And we have to be able to separate those fantasies from uh, actual life and expectations because uh, just like we've been saying, when your expectations are so high and you don't have this amazing, perfect situation unfolding like you have laid it out. I mean, this girl who I'm talking about, it, she's not with her fiance anymore. She's not <laughs> friends with her fr- friends and uh, she's not friends with her friends and family anymore. I mean, That's it's like this up. huge thing. And, and it's and it's not um, I'm not trying to get down on this girl as much as. Like I want to help her, and I want to help people out there who um, are are just indulging in these fantasies and expecting their lives to be that way. If that's the expectation we set for ourselves, uh, yeah, it's it, we can be in for a world of hurt. So yeah, again, I guess we just have to be careful with, um, uh, I guess, the fantasies we indulge in and how how much we try to. 
I don't know, live up to those fantasies, I guess. I don't have a problem with the fantasies. Right. The, the problem with the the problem seems to be pretending they're they're actually real. Yeah. Uh, and, and and assuming they're real, mm-hmm. and I think that's where 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 this. Um, where this idea of well that's where the discontent really comes from is thinking that well this is how it is going to be even though that is it's not reality yeah 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 anyway, right. I, th- I think we should dive into these Let's questions our first voicemail is from jerome in pennsylvania would you say it is intentionality or vanity if one chooses to look for specific characteristics in a partner such as height hair color or other physical traits to provide an attraction As a person who enjoys the act of sex and the intimacy that sex provides, it is important to me that my partner's beliefs about intimacy align with my own beliefs. A relationship lacking intimacy simply won't be fulfilling for me. To me, there is a physical component to attraction, and it will be difficult for me to be intimate with a partner I'm not attracted to physically on some level. Yet we're often told that looks don't matter, it's what's inside that counts. This makes me feel guilty for initially choosing partners based on who I have a sexual attraction to. All this seems possible if I follow this age-old advice, I may end up feeling unfulfilled. I'm old enough to know that a person's physical characteristics are not everything in a relationship, but can it be a factor in the equation and get things started? Or must we all be social pariahs for having a preference? So, Chris, I mean, I think it has to be part of the equation. I mean, unless you're asexual, um, which is definitely a thing. But but if you want to be in an intimate relationship with someone, having a an attraction. Now, what our attraction strategy is is different for each of us. Can you talk a little bit about uh, about Jerome's question here? Yeah, <clears throat> I think I think a mistake that people often make is conflating attraction with um, uh, compatibility. Mm. in a long-term relationship. Right. I think it's important to disentangle those and sort of think about them as separate issues mm. um, because physical attraction, as Jerome said, can sort of get it started, uh, can draw you to someone. The chemistry. Yeah. But often chemistry is the result of psychological incompatibility. Right. I think a lot of times what we do in relationships is we choose a partner who will um, sort of draw us toward issues that we have trouble with. And so that can be a source of growth because you're drawn to these issues that you're troubled by and you can work through them, maybe. Confront them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or you just keep banging your head against them and you have one of these like dramatic but crazy relationships uh, that a lot of people get into, which can be sexually really fulfilling. Mm. Right. The makeup sex can be amazing. All the yelling and screaming and breaking things can get really hot if you're, you know, that kind of person. Um, but I think that it's important to sort of disentangle those things because the attraction will fade over time as you become family, mm-hmm. you know, you, you live with someone for 10 years, they become a sibling. Right. I yeah. don't care how hot they are. Yeah. Right. The, the, as the level of familiarity increases, the, the, the level of physical chemistry often decreases. Right. And, and again, that's one of those things that people often blame themselves for or think that's, you know, they're told that there's something wrong with their relationship because every month Cosmo has 10 more tricks for keeping it hot in bed forever. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's a bunch of bullshit. Yeah. So um, 
There's a book called The Erotic Mind by a guy named Jack Morin. And um, I read it a long time ago, but the thing I remember is, is he says this very simple formula. He says, attraction plus an obstacle equals passion. Mm. And so you think about every relationship, every love story, Romeo and Juliet or whatever, there's that initial attraction and then there's a problem. There's a reason they can't get there, right? The families won't let him or it's a long distance thing or she's already married or it's two dudes and they're gay and they can't tell anyone or whatever it is. There's always some obstacle. And so the the um, attraction keeps building and building to try to overcome that obstacle. But once we remove the obstacle, you get together, there's no obstacle anymore, the passion diminishes. Mm. And so it's weird, it's like, what are we trying to do? You meet somebody you're really into, you wanna be with them all the time, right? So you're sabotaging your own passion. It's interesting, but anyway, to get to his point, I, I think it's really important to separate those things. So there's nothing wrong with saying, look, I'm only, I'm really attracted to like, you know, short blondes with, you know, big knees or something, but don't mistake that for compatibility. Right. So you might find the perfect short blonde with big knees and that doesn't mean that you guys are good together. Right. It just means you like looking at pictures of her. Right. Yeah. I I think that, that. If I were to sum up what you're saying there is is looks do matter in terms of attraction, but in terms of long term compatibility, maybe something like values matter. You know, if if you have radically opposing values and beliefs, even though you might be really attracted to each other sexually, right. yeah, you might have a great sexual encounter. But, but in terms of looking for a long-term relationship, that thing's going to fall apart. And, and even worse, you're probably going to stick it out longer because of that, the, well, the passion that you've just described and there. And you might have kids, and by the time you figure out that you're not a good match for each other, there are other innocent people involved now. Yeah. That's the real tragedy, I think. Yeah. I mean, it's fine. Have yeah. a good time. You're attracted to a certain type of person physically. Have a good time, but don't mistake that for partnership for compatibility and don't start try to start a family with somebody because you like the way she looks or he looks yeah also you might have a type right like like you might have a, a type that you're attracted to but that doesn't mean that's the only type of person you're attracted to as well i mean i, I think of bex my partner wh- whom you met when we were out at your house in, in topanga um and she is not my type at all um, but like in terms of like what I would traditionally date, you know, I, I used to date shorter women and Bex's you know, tall. She's almost my height. Um, and, um, she has darker hair than what I would date no- normally. And so like, there are all these things where you're like, well, if I were to, to uh, just pick what is my type, it would unlikely be her. Um, however, I'm still wildly attracted to her. Um, not in spite of, of her, her physical look. She looks gorgeous, but realizing like there can be a whole spectrum of, sure. of, of attractiveness as well. I don't have to just have the, the short blonde with the big knees. Um, you, you <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I'm allowed to say yeah. on this podcast. You, you can say whatever you want. You say whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and so I, what, what I realized though with her is, is the thing that keeps me attracted is the fact that we do share so many similarities outside of... Uh, uh, we. Yes, we're attracted physically, but everything else beyond that sort of aids the physical attraction. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's part of maturity, too. I mean, I don't know how old this dude is, but I mean, a lot of guys, you know, 20, 22, 23, 24, like they're very focused on the visual, mm, you yeah. know, and that's fine. You know, experience those things, but don't 
don't uh, you know get yourself into a situation that is going to have long-term implications for for other people then when you're in your 30s maybe you will have matured enough to be like hey okay i've been there i've done that <laughs> now i'm looking a little under the surface i've had the short know? blonde with the big knees yeah yeah i've been down that road i, th- I think it's cr- i think it's crazy to say that looks don't matter like i you know you hear that um kind of propagated it sounds virtuous it, it does on the surface you're yeah like, i'm i'm not shallow at all right, right. Yeah. but they matter for some things and not for others right and oh, there, that's a great way to put it yeah yeah well i mean there there is something to be said about how we've evolved up to this point too about how uh these characteristics that we look for it, it is um almost a survival mechanism in a lot of ways so you know i, I think for that for that aspect like it's kind of um well it's it, it, the cards are not stacked for us i mean they're stacked against us when it comes to looks don't matter like looks absolutely matter it's i think it's programmed into our, in our into our dna i love what you said about um the uh, uh love plus an obstacle equals passion attraction attraction yeah attraction plus obstacle e- yeah. <clears throat> it's it's like almost um kind of reiterates or affirms that whole thing of, you know, it's not about the destination. It's about the journey Mm. and uh, looking at that specifically with sex. I mean, it totally makes sense. So when you get into a relationship where maybe you are attracted to the person, drop dead gorgeous, 10 years uh, pass and you get to this point where yes, you're comfortable. Maybe you're not as, you know, sexually attracted because of that familiarity thing that we were talking about. Um, Maybe, you know, to get over that hump, it is, it's about, um, putting in some type of obstacle or putting in some type of uh, of excitement. Um, I haven't got to that point with Mariah yet, but it's interesting because if that's the equation for passion, then there are, I feel like there are ways that people who've been in relationships for 20 years, they can find a way to maybe make an obstacle or make something to, yeah. to create more passion in the relationship. A vacation separately. Yeah, you know, I, interesting. Miss, miss a, each other. That is an interesting concept. Well, it's, it's like intermittent fasting, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, really, it's the same sort of thing. It's like you want to appreciate your food more, be hungry. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. But if you're just sitting in the kitchen all day eating every time you have a slight pang of hunger, well, you're never going to be hungry and then you're not going to really pay attention to your food either. Yeah. yeah that, that fourth piece of chocolate cake is not nearly as satisfying as as the meal that you've had, even a really healthy meal that you've had after a, an 18 or 20 hour fast. Right. Uh, Bex and I, um, we spend a week on and a week off just based on some some geographical issues that we have. So, so our daughter, her biological father lives in, in Montana still. And so she has to basically shuttle back and forth. And so we spend, we spend a week apart every other week. And I could tell you that obstacle certainly leads to a whole lot more chemistry when we are together because of that, that time apart. It's we're vacationing apart every other week, basically. And uh, man, it's difficult. It really is difficult. And there, there are times where I'm just like, I want to say, fuck this. Like this is, this is way too hard to deal with. I wish you were here right now. But of course, if you were here 24 hours a day, then it's not that I would take it for granted, but it would be granted. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So when it comes to looks and relationships, I think that we we should be clear on what our preferences are and we should like honor those preferences. But putting those as number one, that is not going to create a great relationship. So uh, like when I started um, looking for a partner when I started doing online dating. Um, that's how I met Mariah. Mm-hmm. Like I had this thing where I was like, yes, I want to be attracted to someone. I do want there to be some sexual attraction, but 
I'm not going to not go on a date with a girl just based upon her looks because it is very possible to meet someone that, uh, you know, maybe isn't your 10 out of 10 with looks, um, but personality is 10 out of 10. And that does make, sometimes it does make a difference. Sure. So, so I heard you and and you, you and Duncan talking about this uh, on on your podcast. So Chris has a podcast called Tangentially Speaking. And, uh, I think he said something about he met a 70-year-old woman who was one of the oh, sexiest yeah. w- women he's ever met. Yeah, that's and, awesome. And part of that it had very little to do with her looks. It had to do with her sort of, there was a particular confidence and uh, almost like this aura uh, around her. He so, said she was really good in bed, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, that helps. That is awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> All right, well. Uh, yeah. I, one, one line that came to me, someone said, I think it was Oscar Wilde, maybe, who said, uh, men learn to love women they're attracted to, and women learn to be attracted to men they love. Oh, wow. So there's also a gender difference in this question. I think it's probably true that women are less tied to the visual than men are. Certainly, uh, young men. And, and, and we're creating a monolith here. It's obviously different. <clears throat> there are for, plenty of for, exceptions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a spectrum for for everyone. Why sure. do you think that is? Like, why why is it different for men and women that way? I, I know you do write a little bit about um, in in Sex at Dawn about how it used to be where a woman um, had to rely on a man for uh, for shelter for food. I mean, there were. Well, that's the that's the narrative we argue against, actually. Right. That's I'm, I'm the sorry, standard yeah, yeah. narrative <clears throat> that women relied on men for shelter and food and all that in prehistoric times. There's turns out there's very little evidence for that. Certainly after agriculture, that became the norm. Mm. And so, you know, the idea that women are attracted to men for their wealth, um, we argue, is an artifact of post-agricultural context, that that's not biological. Mm. Because in the prehistoric, pre-agricultural times where resources were shared, uh, egalitarian hunter-gatherer societies, women didn't need to rely on men to bring them meat or or shelter or protection or these Mm. things. So that's sort of one of the the schisms between what we argue in Sex at Dawn and the mainstream view. And what actually, yeah. So, so I mean, I guess going back to the question, is there, um, I guess it's just like a, a, a I don't know, bio, I mean, it comes down to biology. I don't know wh- why women would care less about looks than, than men would. Is there, is there any reason behind that? Well, I, I mean, there are lots of different theories for that. I think one of them could be sperm competition, which is another thing we talked about in mm-hmm. Sex at Dawn, where if a woman's having sex with uh, three or four different men um, within the same menstrual cycle, their sperm will uh, fight it out within her. And she has, women have uh, biological mechanisms that, choose the sperm that's most compatible with her oh wow and so often the the man who would be the best match for her biologically is not necessarily the best looking guy it's the visuals are not the main component or the main indication of biological compatibility at least in terms of the compatibility of immune system Mm -hmm. so we talk about um research done by Klaus Wedekind in Switzerland. He was the first to do this research where he was 
trying to understand why women's sense of smell is so much more acute than men's. And his, he was, I think he, he, I don't remember this anecdote, I think this applies to him, where he was listening to <clears throat> some of his students talking and, and the women were saying something about, like, yeah, this guy's cute, but he doesn't smell right. And so like, eh. and he thought, man, I've never heard a man say that. You yeah. know, I've never heard a man say, man, she's hot, but mm, the smell's not quite right, you right, know? Yeah. So that's what uh, spurred him to think about this stuff. And his, his uh, hypothesis was that there, it's about immune compatibility, immune system compatibility. So to, to simplify this, oversimplify it, let's say there are five components of, it's called major histocompatibility index, I think. Um, there are five components of immune response that correspond to five different types or classes of pathogens, right? And so he said, okay, I'm going to find a bunch of women who are low. They're fine on four, but they're low on one. So they're low on type one, they're low on type two, low on type three, and so on. And then I'll find men who have the same you know, variation. So he's fine on four, but he's low on type one or low on... So his thesis, his hypothesis was that a woman who's low on type one will not be attracted to a man who's low on type one because their kids would have this vulnerability. Oh, right. She's going to want to be with someone who's high on type one to compensate for her uh, you know, vulnerability there. Mm. So what he did was he had these guys wear t-shirts for three days and nights, no deodorant, no shower, no soap. Yeah. And then they put the t-shirts in a Ziploc bag and then the women would smell the t-shirts and mark how attractive they thought the men were just based on the smell of their t-shirt, right? Okay. And he found that about 80% of the women chose correctly. They chose men who were high in what they were low in, right? But about 20% of the women seemed to be choosing randomly. So he reran the study, okay. same, same thing, same thing. 20%, what is it? Birth control. Birth control pills. Oh, right. Oh, wow. Those women were on birth control. So it short circuits that system for, yeah. for picking up whether or not the guy's going to be a good match. No, none of this is happening consciously, right? So he might be Brad fucking Pitt, mm. but he smells wrong. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Whereas, you know, all three of us, you know, looking at uh, whatever, Salma Hayek is like, fine, I don't care what she smells like. <laughs> right. Fine, I'm in there. <laughs> So, so it's a it, there's a biological difference between the way men and women assess a potential partner. So well, I think I think the answer for Jerome is to just uh, get some sweaty shirts, start mailing them out to women, and see what happens, man. Uh, no, Jerome, I'd love to send you a copy of our book, uh, Minimalism: Live a Meaningful Life. Uh, in there, because since we talked about values, it, it, getting clear on what your values are is, is pretty important. I know when I was going partner hopping for the longest time. Part of that was I just wasn't clear on what type of person I wanted to be. Right. And I think if you don't know the type of person you want to be, it's hard to find the person that matches with your your ideal self. Yeah. Or the person you are. Yeah. You oh, know, yeah. which is hopefully who you want to be. Right. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully you're, you're in line. You know, you, your current actions are in line with what your future self wants to be. If not, then then getting clear on what those values are will at least give you a path on which you can you can travel so sean if, if you could reach out to him send him a copy of minimalism with meaningful life either the audiobook or the book book or the ebook it looks like our next question is from sarah i don't know where she's from but she says she's asking for a friend i have about 20 pairs of very nice lingerie and other sexual items i've been single for seven years i have already minimalized my collection twice and i feel like i have the basics stored down to one box 
what to do with the just for win relationship items when you're not in a relationship. I get zero value from these items alone. The next relationship could always be right around the corner. I hope. So Josh, what do you do with all your old lingerie? (laughs) (laughs) I'm wearing some of it right now. Um, no, I, it, it's funny, like, uh, so the reason that, that Sarah's asking this question is, you know, we often talk about getting rid of unused items. If I'm not finding value in something, then maybe someone else can. Um, but, uh, there, there are some things that are harder to donate than other things like mm. sex toys or, or lingerie. Um, there's one thing that if you come, <laughs> come to, if you come to used sex toy shop, patent pending, <laughs> <laughs> you're getting a better name than that. <laughs> <laughs> Make it an acronym. Like, dildos are us. Yeah, dildos are us. Um, uh, it, th- if you come over to our house, we have an entire bin of sex toys. Bex and I do. Play it again, sex toys. No, no, no. no. <laughs> Play it again, Sam. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> All right, sorry, sorry. I'll and, get and, off. And so, like, I don't think that the fact that that Sarah has has 20 pairs of lingerie is in and of itself a problem if that's the only thing Mm -hmm. the average american house has 300,000 items in it if you have 20 pieces of lingerie and you got rid of all 20 of them it doesn't really put a dent in everything else what 20 pieces of lingerie or a whole bunch of sex toys that aren't that aren't curated intentionally um it's it's symptomatic of of this like broader sort of uh deficit that you're experiencing like i feel my like my life is incomplete my sex life is incomplete so i'm going to bring something in that is going to make it more complete that's not how i look at at sex toys or lingerie or whatever else we do in the bedroom these the sex toys that i have augment the experience of sex as opposed to as opposed to well it's not a very good sex life well the best sex toys in the world aren't going to make a terrible sex life outstanding uh, overnight um they instead they they enhance um, they amplify the the experience of what's going on in the bedroom. So, I mean, the fact that that Sarah has twenty different pairs of lingerie or, or lingerie laying around, she's saying they're just for when items. You know, we we like to delineate just in case, for, just for when, just in case these things that you're like you're giving yourself permission to hold on to, even though you're never actually going to use them again. Yeah. If that's the case, if you're actually never going to use them, then please get rid of them. Um, they're, they're getting in the way. They're, they're obviously... And, and right now, they're psychological clutter for her. Yeah. Um, if you feel like you're never going to use them, you're unlikely to use them in, in the future, then, then by all means, get rid of them. If you know you're going to use them at some point, then hold on to them for whatever period you feel comfortable for. Yeah, I, it's funny. I, I think about... Um, I don't know, man. Like if, I, if Mariah had a bunch of lingerie before I met her... I mean, I would totally be acceptable, accepting of that and, you know, appreciate her dressing sexy for me. But, and this is just my own personal preference, uh, us going out and buying a lingerie outfit for Mariah, that's much, for me, that's a much more sexual, a much more fun sexual experience. Oh, okay. Because she's trying it on for you. Yeah. And it's, and I'm, and like, I know that I'm the only man that has seen, I mean, not that I'm like super jealous and protective, but I mean, there is something about, you know, breaking in that outfit and, and, you know, it was her and I that broke it in, not like this. Oh, I wonder how many, how many other dudes she's worn right. this piece of lingerie for. Again, that would not deter <laughs> me from dating Mariah at all, but there is a different experience. I think that happens from having some used lingerie that you've had your entire life. And then, uh, bringing in something new that uh, w- with with a new partner. I think I think the psychological part there. There there's some sort of 
um, psychological downside. You know, I, I, and maybe you can speak to this because, um, Chris, you have a, a very healthy perspective on, on uh, things like this. But I remember there was a girl I was dating who wanted me to use this cock ring she had. <laughs> I remember this story. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> She's like, yeah. I'm like, that's Here, cool. put this on. I'm like, all right, no problem. And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> How many guys have used this? <laughs> and I'm like, no, nah, I'm good. But I'm, I'm good with using one. I just don't want to use, even though I'm sure she washed it, took care of it, and all these other things. Like, there was this psychological barrier there. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about some of those psychological barriers, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> no. What's wrong with me? <laughs> what? Doc, what's wrong with Josh? <laughs> what's wrong with I, us? Was it the right size? <laughs> 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 extra medium <laughs> extra medium uh, yeah. extra average yeah. <laughs> xm <It> was, yeah <laughs> aggressively <funny>. average <laughs> yeah yeah no i i, yeah, no, I, <laughs> I you know more about sex toys than i do apparently i had no idea you were such an expert that's yeah. that's great I, I don't know that i'm i'm much of an expert i just know that bex and i have experimented a lot um and it's not in a way it's like I want to keep our relationship fresh, but it's just like, uh, but maybe that, that that's part of it. You just like tools? Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see what we got Let's see here. what we got. It's got like a, a toolbox. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a sex toolbox. <laughs> I think I think what I like and, and uh, you know I probably owe you sixty dollars after this therapy session here, but um, sixty dollars. <laughs> when's the last time he you... lives in Los Angeles, yeah, dude? Yeah. Two fifty an hour yeah. in LA. Man. I'm from Dayton, Ohio, man. Oh yeah, <laughs> sixty dollars a week's pay in Dayton. Yeah, um, tip. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I think it's it's part of it is the newness, like like doing experiencing something new with someone, like you talked about with going to buy lingerie with mariah as opposed to as opposed to the thing that she's used for many years with multiple partners yeah. um yeah, which which by the way it's not a deal breaker either way but there is a preference that i have for sure well you're you're pointing out that it's not about the thing it's about the experience yes absolutely right. I, I think that's it and, and yeah if, if something happened to all the sex toys we have at home i'm not going to feel any particular way about it other than inconvenience by having to buy new ones but even then it would be like oh like bringing these things in intentionally because it isn't about the thing. Yeah. I don't actually get the value from the thing. It's what I'm able to do with the the thing. You know, it's funny. It's talking about the thing, the sex toys. Earlier, you said that sex toys aren't going to make your sex life better. And I do agree with you in the sense that if... Uh, if I had a really shitty sex life, me going out and buying sex toys isn't going to all of a sudden make my sex life awesome. Right. But I do think that the sex toys, uh, it can, yes, enhance the, all, the, the experience that's happening already. But w- what I have found is that sex toys help with um, helping people get more comfortable with themselves, helping people to... Uh, be okay with exploring their bodies in different ways mm. where where uh, you know have, having specific sex toys will will um, kind of force you into experimenting with your body in different ways depending on which sex toy you get where otherwise without that tool um, it, it's it's not I feel like it's not as easy to you know experiment with yourself does that make sense or not i think there's a lot of shame you're talking about butt plugs here. i am totally talking about <laughs> butt plugs <laughs> and anal beads <laughs> well i, I mean uh, this is taking a turn i wasn't expecting <laughs> welcome to the minimalist podcast yeah. <laughs> we're talking about butt plugs um 
Uh, this is a safe space here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but no, I, I think I think a lot of it has to do with shame. Like, yeah. like and, mm. and even even you know saying the word butt plug, we we say it jokingly because like there's almost like this puritanical well, we should never get pleasure from something like that right uh especially as as a man like right. sticking anything in my butt that's that's gay and i can't be gay <laughs> even if a woman does it it's gay yeah. and it's like well <laughs> that's okay crazy, like yeah. it, it's it's the it's a, this cultural um stigma or like taboo like uh, yeah yeah sorry yeah i know you're right and 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 so so what do we do to get around that i mean it, it has to do with getting comfortable with that discomfort yeah and i think the toys help augment that yeah. in a way that uh that, that maybe you wouldn't otherwise and when i say toys it could also be the the lingerie that she's holding on to right yeah um you know it doesn't matter how strong or fast i am i mean i'm not I'm not as fast as a you know J900 vibrator. I don't even know if that's a real Hitachi <laughs> magic wand. Yeah, the Hitachi yeah. magic wand. Have one of those, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, well, Sarah, I'd love to send you a copy of Sex at Dawn. Uh, Sean, if you could reach out to Sarah and send her a copy of that, I would appreciate it. Uh, I don't know if it'll tell you what to do with your lingerie, but it it, it might tell you why you've evolved to to want to wear lingerie. <laughs> if you read between the lines anyway we'd love to hear what y'all have to say so if you have a comment or tip about sex or sex toys apparently including advice for any of our callers today leave us a voicemail 406-219-7839 you can also email a voice memo to podcast at the minimalists.com we'll air our favorite comments and tips on a future episode and stay tuned to the end of this episode for this week's listener comments and tips ryan what time is it it's time for our lightning round where we answer questions from social media we're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Minimalists. Now, Chris, this is what we do on a lightning round. We try to give someone a pithy, shareable, less than 140 character response. Mm. You don't have to worry about that, though. Okay. What we do is we just really maunder on quite a bit, and eventually we tie it up with a little bow that uh, it is sometimes tweetable. Right. Usually not, though. <laughs> um, but uh, we also keep all those tweetable um, sayings in one place. It's minimalmaxims.com. Ryan, what's our first question? Our first lightning round question is from Hanno. Hanno writes, is building an emotional base necessary for a healthy sexual life? Chris? <laughs> Fuck yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess. Yeah. I, are they, does she mean with, or he mean with the partner or in I think, oneself? I, th I, th I think what they're saying is, is to have, that's a great point actually. But I, I think what they're asking is in order to have a, a healthy sex life, or you can look at it as a good sex life. Do you have to build this emotional foundation first in order to have good sex? In That's the, the way I take the, the question. Relationship. Yeah, I think yeah. it depends what you mean by good sex. Uh, Maybe you mean fulfilling sex. Yeah, uh, yeah. That could also well. See, I took it. I, I, I misunderstood the question because I took it to mean within oneself. Mm. Uh, you know, like getting back to your your point earlier, like who you want to be, and I said, well, who you are. Right. I yeah. often think that. You know, one of the things I say to people who, who write to me asking for advice is figure out what are your non-negotiables and then don't negotiate. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, for example, I never wanted to have kids. Yeah, I knew it when I was young. It's like, no, I'm not going down that road. I don't need the hassle. Don't need the mortgage. Don't need all that. I want to be free to fuck off and quit this job and you know do whatever. I knew that really young, and if I met a woman who wanted to have kids, I don't care how hot she was, how wonderful she was, I, you know, I didn't want to go down that road because right. I knew we would eventually have to 
split or she'd end up and this actually happened where I was with a woman who was like, that's okay. I'll, you know, I don't need to have kids. Mm, And it's like, oh, wait a minute. No, no, that's going to end badly. Because what happens is you drag them down the path and and they'll they'll become resentful or eventually she'll get you to cave and and, and then you're resentful. Oops, I'm Uh, pregnant. Someone's giving up something in that situation. Something big. Yeah, something big. Right. These things that that, um, are are mutually exclusive in in this case. However, the the thing I would posit is sometimes those non-negotiables change over time as well. True, true. I was the same exact way, never wanted kids, and that was part of my non-negotiables. And then I met Bex, and like I realized she already, when I met her, she had a one-year-old, and she just got out of this marriage, and I realized like, okay, this is a non-negotiable for me. Let me let me assess this and do so in a way that that I can determine whether or not this is a path that I, I want to go down. Does this negotiable change over time? And so for my 28 year old self, it's one of the the biggest reasons my marriage ended is because I didn't want to have mm. kids. Uh, but now my 37 year old self, uh, I, I've decided. I also have to fully embrace it too. You can't be, you know, sort of one foot in the water here. I have to, uh, it's either all in or, or not in at all. Right. And, and so also understanding that, that as your life changes, some of those negotiables can change. And it's, it's probably worth looking at your non-negotiables every year and saying, okay, is this still something that I believe in? I like that. Or does True. it, or, or is there a good reason for it to, to change? Yeah. yeah. I, I think the, the thing that I would say to Hannah was an emotional base is important for all relationships not just intimate relationships like mm. if you want good interpersonal relationships and also a good relationship with yourself mm. to, going back to what you you had to say then yes you have to have this uh strong emotional foundation because you can have the uh, a very rational person but if they're constantly you know lashing out uh, in rage or something then uh, they don't have that strong emotional base then they're not able to be to behave rationally um, my, my pithy answer Ryan is instability is the birthplace of chaos and 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 I, I think that that sometimes we we um, what happens is we go with the flow for a while um, and we end up with the partner who maybe does or doesn't want to have kids or we go with the flow a little bit more and we've bought this oversized suburban house with a 30-year mortgage. We go with the flow a little bit more and all of a sudden I've got three cars because I have to fill up my three-car garage. You go with the flow, you go with the flow and and it's ostensibly stable but you didn't quite you didn't do any of these things intentionally it was just one small digression seemingly small digression after another until you're buried in instability yeah. and and all of a sudden this thing that seemed stable because it was some template you've been sold this meme of the american dream or whatever mm-hmm. actually yields chaos if you didn't do it intentionally now if you want the the three car garage house in the suburbs and you want the the four kids and the two dogs and the one cat and you you do that intentionally great i say no one sh- you shouldn't deprive yourself of that but don't think because that's one person's template is necessarily your template yeah uh, well my pithy answer is uh having a healthy sex life is going to be different for everyone. Uh, in my experience, great sex happens when it's consensual and all parties preferences are respected and supported. Um, I mean, that's really my way of saying, do you need to have an emotional connection with someone in order to have like good sex? Mm. Uh, I think that that's different for everyone. Some people, 
Um, I know girls who are very much comfortable with their bodies and they like to go out and hook up. So like they will go out, find a guy, whether they have emotional ties or not, they, they feel very sexual and they want to have that experience and, and that's all they want to have. And then they never talk to that, that person again. Like that's, I support, that like, I support people's preferences. Go ahead. That sounds like they have a very strong emotional foundation someone With themselves absolutely yeah and which and what i was getting at is i think you're interpreting this question correctly i think that I'm, I'm looking at it wrong because yes like i think ultimately in order to have great sex like you have to be emotionally stable yourself first mm. even before i think in any relationship before you really dive deep and and, and cultivate a great relationship it, you know, it's the it's the whole thing with putting the oxygen mask on yourself first before you can help others. Um, I think the same can be applied with sex. Like like you're like you're getting at like that specific person that I'm talking about. She's very comfortable with herself. She's very emotionally stable, and she likes to go out and have sex, and that's what she does, and that's that's totally fine. But yeah, it, it definitely serves this up. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I'll show you after. <laughs> uh, well, uh, Dan Savage, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with Dan. He he has this term GGG, good giving and game. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what your answer sort of. I, I just wrote that right next to your answer here, Ryan. Um, uh, you, you have to be you, you want to be good at, at sex whatever good is for you and your partner mm -hmm. or partners um, giving meaning you're not just taking from the situation which is uh, quite honestly what a lot of men do mm -hmm. um, is is I'm just going to try to take from from this and as soon as I achieve orgasm then of course the act is done well because in many cases it is done yeah. um, and then and then game is is willing to do anything you know within reason right, right. Um, so if, if your partner wants you to partake in something even if it's something you're uncomfortable with uh, being willing to do that as long as it is within reason you're gonna have your non-negotiables obviously as well yeah Totally agree. All right. Our next question is from Michael. How should one respond when people are surprised when a couple chooses a traditional route, like waiting until after marriage to live together and have sex? People seem really confused that my fiance and I haven't moved in together yet. Oh, man, I can't wait to hear what Chris has to say. So, so I have a pithy <laughs> answer for you, and then I want to unpack it a little bit. Um, uh, my pithy answer is no response is often the most appropriate response. I mean, if, if you're having people just criticize you uh, that don't have the complete picture, you're not required to respond. And I think quite often we, we forget that, that you aren't required. You don't owe anybody a, a formal response because they're not uh, in a line with what your decision is. No, uh, I, to I totally agree. I was just saying my pithy answer is along the same lines. People who challenge your values and beliefs are not entitled to a response. So yeah, to your point, like, yeah, someone... If someone is especially criticizing your values and beliefs, um, we we naturally want to defend ourselves. We naturally want to say, well, I'm doing it this way because of these reasons, because we want to be okay with our decisions. But just because we feel that way doesn't mean we have to elicit that to, yeah, to other people. I think the data shows that, and not even the data, just the empirical experience uh, of everyday people, it's not the best idea to wait till after marriage to move in with someone and have sex with them. Um, I'm not saying that y you can't have an outstanding, I mean, one of our closest friends, um, uh, Adam, who yeah. you know, waited till marriage and has been married for many years, has four kids together and like, uh, because he has a particular set of religious beliefs that, you know, preclude him from, from having sex before, before marriage, yeah, having sex before marriage. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I think though that like you don't really understand what you're necessarily getting into. Chris? Well, 
Well, I, yeah, it, it's very cultural. <clears throat> you know, your friend Adam, he's coming from a cultural context where those things make sense, and for him to behave outside of them would be disruptive and unfamiliar and probably create problems with his family and his community. You know, some of the most stable marriages in the world are arranged marriages. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Where they're certainly not having sex. They don't even know each other necessarily sure. before they get married. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there are cultural considerations that need to be taken into account. Uh, but, you know, your point is well taken. Sexual compatibility is something you don't know really until you experience it. I always tell people this from a Western, you know, sort of um, secular background, if you don't have those religious considerations, I think a really good thing to do before you make a serious commitment is travel together. Because mm. travel brings up a lot of the tensions mm -hmm. because there are so many um, variables, variables yeah. exactly, so many uh, surprises. And so you can see how people deal with stress. You can see how good they are at communicating. You can see how you two resolve because you're going to have issues. You're, you know, she wants to go see the pyramids. You want to go down the Nile. Like, well, we got to work this out. How does that happen? You know, I so I, I think a good like three month. I'm not talking about a week. I'm talking about several months on the road. Yeah. At the end of that, you'll know. Yeah. Yeah. So, so if whatever your cultural context precludes you from you know, having sex before getting married or not living together before getting married, this is maybe a, a bit of a, a a way to hack the Work system around. there. Yeah. 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 All right. Well. Um, yeah. I mean, I, it I doesn't have to be sex, but it has to be some some challenging intimate experience. I think can yes. can be really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, sex should get better over time. Is is at least my experience if you are if you're comfortable with each other because yes the chemistry that we talked about earlier it wanes significantly after the first you know, 90 days first year mm -hmm. that that chemistry is going to wane but but what isn't going to wane is your willingness to experiment or try new things and be open with each other and i think the compatibility can grow after uh, after the first year yeah absolutely i mean i don't I don't want to say sex should or should not be any way, but yeah, ideally I agree, man. Like finding a partner, um, being able to, uh, yeah, explore as time goes on and, and make sex a, a much better experience, a much more enjoyable experience. Um, man, this whole, this, <laughs> the not living with each other before getting married or like not having sex before marriage, like there's nothing wrong with having those values right um you know it, it, what to me what it comes down to for for uh michael here is why is michael doing this like are they doing this because they are you know really devout christians and this is what they believe in and they are really making their actions their short-term actions align with their long-term values and beliefs or is it something that they're doing just for uh their parents or that they're doing just for uh you know for their friends so i think that is where Good that's point. that's where the decision can be wrong is when you're doing it for other reasons than for you and your partners yeah. so who are you doing this for and if you're doing yeah. it for you then that makes sense um, if you're doing it to appease someone else, here's the thing. You, we just did an episode on parents. Uh, Ryan had a funeral for his relationship with his father uh, back on episode 145. Mm -hmm. um, and um, you, you, I think part of that was like realizing that you weren't ever going to be able to appease his set of, yeah. of beliefs. So long story short, um, he is a very devout Jehovah's Witness. Um, my, my partner and I lived together. Uh, we... 
you know, even though I think at this point, like there's a certain point where, um, if you live with someone long enough, like you have to have a legitimate divorce if you move out. Like there, there isn't like, yeah, common law. Yeah. But I mean, and it's different every state into the country, but anyway, um, because Mariah and I are not married, uh, my father essentially uh, just called me and he's like, hey, man, I just want to let you know that uh, if you have an emergency, feel free to reach out to me. But other than that, um, I'm not even going to have a, a meal with you because of your misconduct. I mean, you know, just kind of going down that line. So so uh, I had one or two choices, man. I could either cave in and get married or, um, uh, you know, I can live up to what I feel like is a meaningful life. And, you know, ultimately... Um, I don't want to get married again. I think I think it's I think the piece of paper is for me and for Mariah. It's a little, it's a little uh, silly. It's a little antiquated. Um, I really love waking up every morning and not feeling like oh I have to be next to this person. There's a piece of paper that says I have to be here. Mm. Um, I like waking up every morning and like choosing to dive into that relationship every single day. I mean I I wake up with Mariah every morning and I and I seriously am like oh wow I am so happy to wake up to you every single morning. It is so awesome to wake up next to you every morning. And I, I tell her that most mornings, if we were married, um, I don't know if that feeling would change. I'm sure it wouldn't, but there is a factor there when you are forced into doing something. So I'm, I'm just, this is me rambling and saying why Mariah and I aren't going to get married personally. We have nothing against marriage. Uh, we just, we just aren't religious and we, we, uh, aren't going to get married ourselves. But my point is, is that I have, uh, I have taken, the judgment that my dad has given me and i have essentially been able to look at that and say okay that's your problem that's not my problem um and i'm gonna go ahead and like let you live your life and i'm gonna live my life and i would say the same thing for michael i mean if there's people who aren't supporting you with the the values that you and your partner have instilled and that you're acting on i mean that's you might want to question whether or not you want to uh, how, how, how much you want those types of people to be involved with your life and with your relationships well, P.S. Ryan, we have one more question. Okay. Vetti asks, high libido versus low libido. How can couples work on finding what makes them both happy? And uh, if you all want to hear our answer to that question, you can listen to this week's Postscript episode over at the Minimalist Private Podcast. It's available exclusively to our Patreon supporters. So if you want to support our show, keep it 100% advertisement free because advertisements suck. Then head on over to theminimalists.com slash support. Uh, in addition to our weekly postscript episodes, the Minimalist Private Podcast feed includes our monthly Ask the Minimalist Anything episodes, unreleased recordings of our live events, and the entire back catalog of past private episodes. Uh, you can find all the details and all the good stuff over at theminimalists.com slash support. And here is a snippet from this week's postscript episode. I agree with you that it's important to look for somebody who's got, a, you know, libido in the general range. But the problem is that libido changes over life so much. Oh, yes, so, it does. That's true. You know, a woman gets pregnant, that can have effects. Menopause has effects. Um, stress, you know, any sort of work stress, a death of a parent, you know, anything can affect libido. It's, it's very malleable in that sense. So... Even if you are lucky enough to find somebody in alignment with you, you're going to experience these sort of um, disconnects over time if you sure. stay together. All right, now it's time for our added value portion of the show. This is where we each talk about something that has added value to our lives recently. 
Um, I wrote this down. I, I knew we'd be talking a little bit about sex toys today, but um, there's a website called ojoysextoy.com. Okay. And uh, it's like little comic strips about sex toys. And it's like this husband and wife couple who, in a very upfront way, just talk about their experience with different sex toys. And like, I like this one, but my wife didn't like it. Or I kind of like this, my husband didn't. Or this is pretty good, but I don't think it's worth the money. Or wow, this thing is amazing if you're like this, but if you're not like this, then I, you know, I would try this. And so, but they do it with a comic strip, hmm. um, and they put out new. So it's like a review on sex toys, essentially. Yes. Yeah, but but via like you know peanuts or something, <laughs> um, uh, type comics. So uh, yeah, you good. can check that. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. Ryan, what's been adding value to your life recently? Uh, I just came across the podcast called Philosophy Bites. Dude, it's so good. It's like these little 20-minute excerpts of like... It's not even excerpt. It's a 20-minute podcast of different uh, topics on philosophy. Mariah and I, we were like sitting at the airport and we had some time to kill. I'm like, let's, you know, look up a new podcast that we haven't haven't listened to. And we came across this one and it was a 20-minute podcast on why Buddhism is the right religion. Now, it didn't convince me that Buddhism is the right religion, but it was this very interesting take on on Buddhism and its philosophy. And, and um, I certainly was able to take away a couple little nuggets to, to apply to my own life from a 20 minute podcast. Yeah. And they, all of their podcasts are, that's why it's philosophy bites. It's like these little bites of philosophy. Uh, totally worth it. And like, yeah, really short and easy to listen to. Cool. What, what about you, man? What's going on here? Like what, what's, what podcasts are you really loving right now? Is there anything that stands out? Uh, <clears throat> I've listened to uh, Malcolm Gladwell's podcast, Revisionist History. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. Really good. Listened to all of that when I was on the road recently in Colorado. Um, more very recent, I just listened to um, Chuck Palahniuk, uh with Joe Rogan. Yeah. Listen, yeah. Really Did good. you hear that one? Yeah. yeah it, was it was fantastic. Great. Yeah. And, and uh, he told a great story about... Uh, he, he told... I mean, they were like exchanging stories. It was almost like this... They were dueling stories between the two of them. And they were getting to know each other. Yes. I, I like that when Joe doesn't know the guy or the person and, and you can see like it was really awkward at the beginning. And, yeah, because he had this wrong And then fact. they had a rhythm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, Here's what I know about you. And Chuck's like, that's not me. Yeah, right. <laughs> and you can tell Rogan was like embarrassed. Like, well, I don't <laughs> yeah. know where, where to go from here. But like the stories, I mean, he was... Chuck Palahniuk was was built for writing, and in the way, in, in in a weird way though, he's an extroverted writer, which is uh, is is uncommon. But like he, the way he develops stories is going. He goes out and tells and talks to people about stories, and so he's he's actually good at the auditory storytelling. And he listens, he, like he he pulls anecdotes from other people mm, and he writes them down and yeah. then re- uses them. He yeah. like captures them. He has yeah. like yeah. He he treats his his notebook as sort of the the way to capture those those little nuggets of thought and and philosophy and then shapes it into a story um the story he told about um who's the gal who wrote wild cheryl strayed yeah that was intense oh my god i won't even ruin it here because i wouldn't i wouldn't do it justice yeah but it was such an intense story i gotta look it up now Uh, i think it's episode 11 55 podcast Sean, put in the show notes so i can look at so i can reference it later i I, I might be i might be wrong with that but it's somewhere right around there just in the last week or two yeah yeah it's uh it's really good so august we'll we'll throw a link to that in in the show notes as well but um you've been you've been traveling around quite a bit you've got the uh i think you have a name for your your little rv scarlett (laughs) jovanson 
It's a red van. <laughs> oh, that is so good. Yeah. I really appreciate what you're doing with, with, with your podcast because um, you are pursuing your curiosity in, in a way that um, most people are discouraged to do once they've turned 18 and they've, 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 they've uh, specialized. Yeah, you're, you're like, you have to, you have to, you yeah. know, you've, you've, all right, you've turned 18 and here's six figures worth of debt. You have to do this one thing for the rest of your life. I was with an Uber. Have a good life. <laughs> I, I was with an Uber driver in in um, Portland recently, mm-hmm. and she was uh, going to school to be an insurance actuary. And I'm Exciting. like, yeah, I'm, but I'm like, uh, that's cool. Like, if that's what you want to do, she's like, well, it's it's a job. I'm like, well, you're getting ready to go through four more years of school for it's a job. Yeah. Like, is this what you're curious about? Well, no, but that's how you make money through math. And I'm like, uh, that's not the only way to make money through math. There are mathematicians who make money. And, and and the thing that I really appreciate about about what you do with your podcast is you you literally just you know you drive a van around North America and talk to people who sometimes you've you don't even know their last name. Yeah. Uh, th- there was a musician you had on recently. You're like, I'm yeah. with Steve. Uh, Steve, what's your last name? <laughs> You're like, yeah. he's like, if I was a fucking professional, I'd have a piece of paper printed out in front of me. And I'm like, damn it, why do I print out pieces of paper and have it in front of me? I want to be more like Chris. Uh, well, see, I Amen. was thinking I want to be more like you guys. You got all your oh, notes written out here, and your your I, I every I've been doing I'm in like episode 350 or something, right. and I'm still like I don't have an outro Dude. written down or an intro i'm just winging it it's it's sloppy but i will say though being that's on your, my vibe being on your podcast was that was one of my favorite podcasts because it was it was we were just chilling in your backyard yeah and it was like really laid back and the only reason i like this format with having a pieces of paper because i will ramble and ramble and get off yeah. topic if i don't have uh some kind of structure i, I do need structure in my life yeah <laughs> well when we were on, on your podcast a couple years ago i left there with and it was almost a little throwaway line but it struck me you know how sometimes there's just these little throwaway bits that, st- that stick with you um ryan was telling some joke about masturbating uh, <laughs> and and he's like and then afterward i'm just like oh my god what have i done <laughs> <laughs> and all Chris said was, hey, man, I think you're doing it wrong. Yeah, he said, maybe he's like, do I need to give you points on masturbation? <laughs> but but like, like, that's the thing. It, the, the, uh, I think it was Kafka who, who said, um, uh, life's most profound truths cannot be discussed only via jokes. Yeah. And, and, and wow. part of that was like, what you were saying is you were brought up to feel shame for masturbating. Right. Right. And, and what you were saying is, well, if you're feeling shame, you're doing it wrong. Like yeah. not doing the act of masturbate, but like psychologically, you can let go of that shame. It's it, it is not a prerequisite for for enjoying yourself. Yeah. Uh, the shame isn't. So like, but but that's the thing uh, about your podcast. You do these Toma and Roma episodes, uh, uh, talking out my ass and and uh, the other ranting, ones, out, ranting my out my <laughs> ass. Yeah, and uh, so good. Uh, you'll do that, and it's almost. It, you said it's a mess, but it's like the most beautiful mess. No, so thank you. So so thank you for what you put out into the world. I really appreciate that. Yes. And speaking about what we're putting out in the world, uh, real quick, we have a segment, the last segment here called Right Here, Right Now, where we talk about what's going on in the lives of the minimalists. Ryan, I couldn't make it to our gay dodgeball finals. I find it funny last how week. this was your idea, and you've missed more games than anyone on the team. Josh, do you I, want to explain yourself? I have a five-year-old daughter. Oh, whatever, dude. And a babysitter dude, was out I'll of town. For you. I love dodgeball. Oh man, so, <laughs> it's like the only sport I've ever been any good at. <laughs> I should have got a hold of so, you. <laughs> we we joined this uh, gay dodgeball league. We didn't know it was. I mean, it was totally fine. But like, we show up there, and like, we're the only six 
straight people there. Um, <laughs> there were there were more straight people on our team, I think, than any other team. Because one of the dudes were like, they were talking to their friend, and he was like, look at this. He's like, we are outnumbered. This is not right. <laughs> <laughs> How did we do last week? Well, dude, I don't want to talk about it. I'm surprisingly horrible at dodgeball. I don't know. I think case I'm so wide, maybe. I don't know, dude. Uh, I like I am an easy target. Um, I look like I should be good at dodgeball, so I think people they target me. Uh-huh. But secretly, I'm just really bad, so I get out really quickly. <laughs> um, it was a whole lot of fun. Every if time we didn't we finish went, last, we finished second to last in oh. the tournament. Well, that's, that's might have been different if you were there, Millie. It probably would have been. <laughs> uh, we're, we just did a podcast. Uh, our friend Justin, who read all of our audiobooks, uh, Justin Malik has a great podcast called Optimal Living Daily. And congratulations to him. He just hit his thousandth episode. That's incredible. He puts out a podcast every single... Actually, he puts out several podcasts. He has several other podcasts. Mm-hmm. He just reads other people's work. So he'll take like mm-hmm. essays that he really finds profound. And he asked us to do episode 1001 and 1008 for him. I read a short story by uh, Zadie Smith, which cool. seemed totally inappropriate. And he still is going to publish it somehow. But uh, What's the story about? What's it called? Well, it's back to the life's most uh, uh, profound problems can be discussed only with jokes or with fiction. Uh, Um, And and so you're able to talk about the sort of current political climate in a way um, that you can't talk about head on without offending everyone. But sometimes if you write it in this this sort of fictive narrative, all of a sudden you're able to discuss these things that are somehow less offensive. Um, It's like... uh, Tanahasi Coates's fiction is less offensive than his non-fiction and than his non-fiction to certain people, um, and it's strange to me because they cover the the same topics and they essentially say the same things. Mm. In fact, you can be more um, experimental and more over the top with fiction sometimes because it is via the lens or the lattice work of of storytelling. Yeah, it's, I, it's like uh, South Park gets away with a lot of stuff you could yeah, never get away right. if it wasn't a cartoon. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, the format diffuses it somehow. Yeah, not only is it fictional, but yeah, it's got this really cheesy format that you you can't take serious even if you tried. Right. Yeah, yeah, no, I totally agree. Yeah, so I read, what, what, what did you read? Uh, I read The Stonecutter. Um, I just picked that story because it was short, it was simple, and it. I probably heard that story and I was like, in the, do you know about this story, The Stonecutter? No. Oh man, I'm going to ruin it for everyone here. <sighs> um, it's uh, The story is about a stonecutter who hates their job. And then they uh, look up at the sun and they're like, man, the sun. Now that's, I wish I could be the sun. That is powerful. So then they become the sun and then the clouds block the sun. They wish they could become the clouds, so forth yeah. and so on. And so eventually they become this mountain and they're like, man, like, yeah, I, I'm fine. I'm here. I did it. I'm a mountain. And then like they feel themselves withering away and then they look down and they see a stone cutter chipping away at the uh, mountain. Uh. So, <laughs> so the whole idea of this story is just, um, it's it's really really uh, it really helps helps me with perspective and that grass is always greener on the yeah. other side feeling that I have. I mean I'm I'm so glad I heard that story in the fourth grade because anytime like I get what I want and then I see greener grass like I do stop and ask myself like wait a minute is it really is it really greener? Um, but yeah, that was I, I was so glad that he invited us on his show. And sometimes it is that. greener. I mean, that, yeah, that's the other thing sometimes. to think about. Like, yeah. so, you know, if, if you are doing the insurance actuary thing and you've realized, you, well, I'm 10 years in, you're too scared to jump down the corporate ladder because you've climbed too high, then, you know, it, it, 
it may be greener if you actually, you know, you, you've placed your ladder. I'm, I'm mixing several metaphors here, but uh, <laughs> you place your ladder. You've placed your ladder against the wrong building. It's time to. You can't just keep climbing up, though. It's you have to slowly climb back down. Um, but uh, I, I think that's. Uh, I, I think what's true about you know the grass is always greener parable mm-hmm. is is. Um, we need to be content with what we currently have. We want to appreciate something better. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. Um, I want to touch, touch on the story you talked about that you read Yeah, through. So, I, uh, Josh Wagner, um, he's a friend of mine, a writer. Um, he's actually the, a mentor on, I have a mentoring team. He's one of my, one of my team members. Um, he was explaining to me about how, when he gets really, really inappropriate thoughts, because we all get inappropriate thoughts at one time or another, and we get to decide whether or not we get to continue those thoughts or we can kind of try to push them away or compartmentalize them or whatever. But um, <laughs> specifically, we were talking about how uh, the conversation got started because we were talking about how um, I was saying, dude, when I do, like when I've done mushrooms in the past, like I start to get these these narratives going on in my head that really like it, it kind of you know, that's what ruins my, my experience with, with that psychedelic. And he was like, he was explaining to me, dude, when you get those thoughts, he's like, whether you're on shrooms or not, he's like, just start to imagine how that would make a really good plot for a book. And he's like, go ahead and play it out. But with that intention of mm. like, yeah, you know what? Yeah. Government's out to get me. And, uh, uh, you know, all these other paranoid thoughts like, yeah, that would be an interesting book plot, wouldn't it? And then it's like, it allows, um, it allows me to just explore ideas that normally I would just kind of cut off. But, you know, now I can take like a really crazy wild thought and be like, what if that, yeah, what if that was a story? How would that story play out? What benefit do you get from that? Um, Closure. Like instead of like uh, thinking about, um, or I should say not thinking about like, I'm trying to think of the most, I don't do it often, but I'm trying to think of the most recent thing. Like, you should read more Chuck Palahniuk. Yeah, yeah. And that's what he does. Yeah, right? he, he really he, does. He it. takes those deep, dark, ugly things mm-hmm. and creates stories out of them. And I think, you know, what it was so interesting about that conversation is seeing how his psychological health was tied to his writing because mm. he was able to sort of flush Put that stuff out, out of his brain, I think. Yeah, I, I can remember the last time it happened to me, uh, watching Game of Thrones and looking at, um, I forget her name, it's the the queen on there that like everyone hates on Game of Thrones. I've oh. never seen her. But she's sexy. She is sexy. Seriously. <laughs> she, <laughs> yeah, she yeah. is sexy. But I, you know, I um, was watching that show and after it, I started thinking, I was like, God, like I could not imagine being that evil of a person. Hmm. Like that would be, and then, you know, I, I, you know, I get a random thought of like doing something evil. And then instead of looking at that thought and being like, oh no, no, Ryan, you're not evil. That doesn't exist. That doesn't exist in your world. It's just fantasy. Like I can look at that and be like, I, I can look at that thought and I can look in the mirror and be like, okay, Ryan, I'm the devil. What would you do if you were the devil, Ryan? Like it totally helps me to get that, to, to play it out without actually playing it out. Yeah. Do you, if that do makes you sense. meditate? I do, yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, what you're describing is very much like you have these thoughts that come into your head mm-hmm. and the, the novice tries to stop them. Yes. But what you learn eventually is that by trying to stop them, you energize them. Right. And so you just sort of, you know, ignore them, let it go. Like, oh, there's another thought. Okay, let's get back to this. And by not resisting it, you you allow them to just fade out rather than energizing them with resistance. Yeah. Yeah, I never thought of it, the the corollary there between meditation and and playing the story out, but 
that's very much true with uh with meditation the thing that is most difficult is trying to stop the thought you know i'm trying to meditate i'm trying to do good at (laughs) meditation i'm a seven out of ten meditator today (laughs) and and like well that means you're doing it wrong right and and i think the same thing with with maybe the the stories but you're right the 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 chuck polinick thing i think i think maybe a lot of his sort of psychological health uh, everyday well-being is tied to his ability to get those stories out of his head it almost gives him permission to let go via the the page this makes me think about um i was talking about that episode on philosophy bites about how buddhism is the, the the right religion but it's basically about this guy who does he's a you know buddhist and he you know basically uh puts out his argument on why he thinks you know it's the right religion but the one thing that really stood out to me was about how we have these thoughts enter our mind and we associate those thoughts with who we are as a person. And he basically explains how, and I'm doing a bad, I'm going to do a bad job paraphrasing this, but he explains how we might get a random thought. Like I might get a thought of, Oh, I want to rob a bank and I would never actually act on robbing a bank. And that's easy for me to look at that thought and say, Oh, I would never do that. But sometimes we get thoughts that we we are maybe embarrassed about or whatever it may be mm-hmm. and we start to associate that with oh man that's who we are and we got to watch out for that where um through meditation and, and through the practice of buddhism he was talking about how you can kind of look at these thoughts and you can kind of let them flow through you and you get to decide which thoughts you you grab onto and what you act on and and what you kind of let go and accept that yeah there are these random thoughts that enter our brain that doesn't necessarily mean it's us yeah all right. I think uh, I'm de- we are like totally <laughs> yeah, going off topic now. <laughs> we've derailed in, in, in several uh, tangents, so to speak. Uh, we My did fault. the Kevin Rose show this weekend. Oh, yeah, that was great. Uh, we went up to Portland for that. Um, and, man, it was a great conversation we, we had with him. Uh, he invited us over to his house. And I have this picture of him showing us how big his microphone is. <laughs> it's his wife's <laughs> microphone. It looks like we're comparing sex toys. Um, he, he's like showing you that he has this biggest smile on his face and you're looking at it like <gasps> <laughs> if you're watching us on YouTube you can see my expression there um, oh one last thing before we, we talk about YouTube um, Gym City Market so Ryan and I uh, are from Dayton, Ohio one of the largest food deserts in the country is, is in Dayton, Ohio west side of Dayton doesn't have a single grocery store in, in the entire city. And so um, they have access to food like Cheetos and liquor at the liquor store, but not nutrition. And so we're trying to help them build a, uh, a nonprofit co-op, grocery co-op there in, uh, on the west side of Dayton. And we've raised uh, just over $40,000 so far, about $45,000, uh, 25000 from us and also our, our publishing company, Asymmetrical Press, um, was able to donate uh, about $1,400 from from asymmetrical and our audience has raised the rest we're trying to get to a hundred thousand dollars so if you all want to contribute to that and provide food not just food but education because i think that's the one of the bigger hurdles as well just because you have access to food doesn't mean you have that, that you're going to pick the the carrots and the kale over the twinkies and and the cheetos mm-hmm. um and so providing ed- education as well um you know the, the last grocery store closed there over a decade ago yeah, and we're we're trying to fix that. So um, if you're interested in helping out with that, just go to theminimalists.com slash Dayton and you can contribute whatever you want. Even if it's just a few bucks, it'll help out a lot. 
Uh, if you want to comment on this episode, you can do so on YouTube, just youtube.com slash The Minimalist. Also on YouTube, we're posting about one new video every day now, uh, including some living room conversations, quickie podcast episodes, uh, our new vlog series. We just put out the first episode. is called A Meaningful Life. Basically, just a little synopsis of what happened over the course of a month, things that we find meaningful. We've got some minimalist home tours and some video essays coming soon. And if you want all of our sh- podcast show notes in your inbox, you can sign up for email list over at theminimalists.com. Ryan, you got anything else for us? Here are some voicemail comments and tips from our listeners. Hi, guys. I'm Brittany, originally from Montana and now living in New York. I wanted to call because you guys speak a lot about intention. Well, I believe that intention is important when buying. I also think we should use intention when we're decluttering. For example, I'm a huge movie fan and recently got rid of over 60 DVDs. Instead of dropping them off at the thrift store to be sold, I donated them all to my local library. Like so, my boyfriend was finally ready to give up his Xbox, so we found a local shelter that frequently has children, and we donated the games and consoles to them. While it does create a few extra trips, your things can really create value for someone else if you let them. Hi, Josh and Ryan and Soraya from Brooklyn. Um, I just finished listening to your uh, Patreon podcast uh, in depth, and it came to my mind a couple of uh, months ago, I finished reading the book from Rachel Cruz and her dad, Smart Money, Smart Kids, or something like that. And they talk a lot about chores, giving their kids chores and give them, paying them for those chores. So I I have three kids and they each one have uh, chores to do, make their beds. Um, my older daughter uh, do my uh, younger daughter uh, the hair every morning, uh, the old daughter, my older daughter vacuum. Um, of course, there's a lot of chores that they know they just have to do without getting paid just because they are part of the family and it's their house too and everybody has to help. But uh, paying them for chores uh, teach them the relation between work and money and how anything in life is free. You have to earn it. Uh, so I recommend that book to every parent, every uh, grandparent. It's really amazing and they talk a lot about how they did it when they were growing up and what um, that family came from bankruptcy to what they are right now. It's really, really, really good. Hi, guys. This is Molly in Detroit. I am calling in response to a knitter's question about her yarn collection. Uh, among knitting, crocheting, etc. circles, this collection of supplies is often called stash. Um, you guys are right in saying that this type of collection is, is primarily just for when items. So it's certainly better than just-in-case items, but the collection of these just-for-when items can also become out of control. There's a term crafters use called sable, which means stash accumulation beyond life expectancy, and that is something it is best not to achieve or even approach. Um, First thing to do is probably to establish a maximum size for your stash and where you will contain it and then think about what your ideal would be. There are some things you may want to minimize because you find your taste has changed since you bought them, or if you're honest with yourself, they were really just in case purchases, or just, ooh, this is a pretty shiny thing and I want it purchases. 
Um, there are other things that you're going to want to keep, and you need to focus on actually using them and making that when become now. For my part, I've been knitting down my fashions before I discovered the minimalist. It's at a size now that I feel fairly comfortable with, but ideally I would get to a point where I only have the project I'm working on, or maybe one complicated project and one simple project, and then the yarn for the next project I want to start. That way I'll be able to make things when I'm still excited about the project because I'm really excited when I buy the yarn and then years later I'm not so excited. But be able to, to, to make it while I'm still excited and then also maintain the ability to start something new even when I can't get to the store. Somebody else's ideal stash might be bigger than that, but for anyone who retains that creative supplies just for when, not just knitters, but anyone, I urge you to think about just how far off that when probably is and set a limit for yourself. All right, Joe, that's almost it for this episode. If you have a question for The Minimalist, give us a call, 406-219-7839. You can also email a voice memo to podcast at theminimalists.com. We're especially looking for questions about discipline, spouses, and preferences or personalities. And I just want to say thanks to Chris for, for being here, you're man. You're awesome, man. Appreciate, Thank you so much. Appreciate what you're doing. Uh, folks yeah. can find you on Twitter at that Chris Ryan. Uh, Tangentially Speaking is is the podcast, uh, your website, uh, tangentiallyspeaking.com or chrisryanphd.com. That's it. All right. Yeah. Sex at Dawn. Oh, also, yeah, check out the book Sex at Dawn. And we are proud supporters of his podcast on Patreon. Oh, so Absolutely. Um, yeah, man. Yeah, um, I yeah. hope it's a minimal uh, contribution. <laughs> <laughs> you know that $1 million a month you're getting? Oh, that's for you guys. <laughs> Thanks so much. <laughs> Oh, uh, Chris, thank you so much for being here. I really hey, appreciate it. Yeah, my man. pleasure. You're thank awesome. You. All right, y'all. If y'all leave here today with just one message, we hope it's this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time. Bye. Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Every little thing that you gotta have Every little thing that you gotta have You gotta reach for and you gotta grab Oh, I bet that you'll be fine without it So take 